Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Yes, and today we are finally tackling an episode topic we have been wanting to do for a while now and so excited to bring on an expert in the field who's been all up in the world of brewing. Oh yes, we love beer. Uh, and She's been there for a long time. Welcome, Jen. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. I've listened to this podcast since way back in the day, so this is like kind of surreal to actually be on it. <laughs> That's so awesome. So you're OG listener. I love it. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're very excited to have you. <laughs> I know. I've been talking about this for so long. I'm like, Annie, <laughs> I've got the perfect person to talk about beer because we love, we love beer. We have our happy hour. We featured a beer that we'll talk about soon that you helped create. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be awesome. But before we get all into that, will you introduce yourself for our listeners? Yes, uh, definitely so. So I am Jen Blair, and I um, jokingly, not jokingly, describe myself as being all beer all the time. Um, I am an advanced Cicerone, so that is the the equivalent. Um, Cicerone is the equivalent to a sommelier for the wine world. I actually took my master Cicerone exam last month, and I am expecting my results any day now. Um, I'm expecting to take it again because, just <laughs> statistically speaking, most people don't pass on their first time, but that is the equivalent to a master sommelier for wine. Um, I'm also a national BJCP judge, so BJCP is Beer Judge Certification Program. Um, I've been a national BJCP judge for a couple of years now, and I'm working also on getting that master BJCP designation, hopefully in 2022, I'll be able to make that happen. Uh, so, you know, I do a lot with within the brewing industry. Um, I've jokingly been, been referred to as a Swiss army knife <laughs> with the diff, kind of the different skill sets that I brought and that I've picked up since I've been in the beer industry. But really the core of what I do is talking to people about beer, educating people about beer, making sure that they understand that beer is accessible to them. Yes, I love that. And uh, we got to sit together for a little while, not too long ago, to talk about yeah, the vast amount of experience that you've had in the beer world. And just your history is amazing. And that, that you've really pursued it to where you've gotten to is amazing. Because we don't see many women who even feel like they can't get to this point and get to the point that you're at and really strive to do this in such a really male-dominated field. But we'll get into that in a minute. And yeah, it makes me miss beer a lot being in the industry. And all I did was serve and kind of learned very little about the beer, started <laughs> studying for the Cicero. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? Because we had like textbook on textbook. I'm like, we need to talk about the hops and the barley. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's a whole lot of things. Right. I feel like, yeah, definitely like you need to go to school for this. And that's kind of the way you're doing it. Um, but before we start that, how did you get into the brewing and beer industry? You know, I got, um, I'm not alone in this. I've actually found a few people who got into the beer industry in sort of a similar way. But before I was in the beer industry, I actually worked as an attorney and did not really enjoy it all that all that mm -hmm. much. It turns out that um, it's not like what you see on TV and not <laughs> everybody, yeah, <laughs> not everybody gets to, um, you know, go work for a nonprofit. So I wasn't really very happy 
in the legal industry, I had been homebrewing for a few years. And like everyone who starts homebrewing, if you've ever been around a new homebrewer, they will homebrew for a few months and be like, you know what, I'm going to open a brewery. Like this is my, <laughs> my neighbors like my beer, my friends like my beer. Uh, so this is a viable business option for me. So I, you know, from homebrewing, knew that I was really interested in brewing beer and also learning more about beer and knew that it wasn't going to be very easy for me to make a lateral move into a new industry, particularly coming from an industry that is um, known for, then, you know, this isn't true for very many people in the legal industry, but a lot of people see that as this is some place where you make a ton of money and, you know, you're very successful all the time. And that's really just not the reality. Um, So I knew I was going to be running into some barriers from people who, you know, think that, okay, maybe you want to do this for now, because um, I don't know if you all know this, but there's not a ton of money for people in the brewing industry. (laughs) Right. But yeah, that's when I started down the path of pursuing Cicerone certifications, uh, starting beer judging. I started a beer blog back when people had beer blogs, uh, all kind of as ways to show that I was committed to learning what I could about being in this industry and was was actually starting to get a little frustrated because the jobs I was seeing that were available in the brewing industry weren't necessarily jobs I wanted to do. Uh, so, you know, finally I sat down and just wrote out a job description for myself. What is it that I would like to do? Because up until that point, I'd really just been defining what I didn't want to do. And within a couple of months of sitting down and really articulating where I was interested in going... In the in the brewing industry, I saw a job posting for an executive director for the North American Craft Maltsters Guild. I thought that there was no way that I would get hired for it. I almost didn't apply, and uh, I did apply, and I did get hired. Yeah. And um, yeah. yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I joined that as you know on the supply side as the first executive director of the Craft Maltsters Guild, and from there, really just continued to pursue beer sensory, beer education, starting to do more trainings. Uh, you know, people, consumers really want to learn about beer. And it's it's incredibly interesting, no matter what your, you know, no matter where your interests lie, there is something you can learn in beer history that's going to deepen your knowledge of whatever your field is that you're interested in. So from there, I moved into working in breweries in more of an educator role Um, And now I am um, building a few different projects in terms of continuing to make beer accessible to everyone. I love that. And yeah, I think your key point of being making it accessible. That's one of the big things that we do talk a lot about, about who who is it made for, who is it geared towards, and how is the ads going, and, and who actually is a part of this industry. And you and I talked, again, because things have been happening in the industry. Uh, our audience knows because we have been talking about it, the Me Too movement that's been happening. We even had episodes about how the sexist idea that men drink beer, women drink wine, men eat meat, women drink eat salads, like that type of narrative, which is really damaging and unfair for any gender saying that Mm -hmm. in any way. And it's always shocking to me to know the history of things. And and we've talked about it before, like the history of beer is it was started by women. Uh, They were the ones that were making the beer. They were the ones that had the market and they did it for many other reasons like saving grains and such and all of that. And then we come to the point of maybe not completely historically in context, but yeah, witchcraft was a part of this uh, 
industry as well that even some who uh, men became competitive and realizing, damn, there's some money in this? And maybe accusing some of the uh, L-wives of being witches so they can kick out the competition. That's a whole other conversation in itself. But when we look at the numbers and when we talk about who's involved and yet who is allowed to be involved, accessibility is that key point. Why do you think this is important? And why do you uh, want to make sure that it comes back up again and again? Yeah, you know, it's absolutely important because for, you know, for me, I want to be in the industry and I have a valuable contribution to make. And, you know, so so does anybody who wants to be in the industry and it's it's just so important, you know, with craft beer specifically, there was the Sam Calgione quote about, you know, craft beer is 99% ass free. And it's like, what, how many women did you ask? Like, what was your sample <laughs> right. size for, you know, right. for getting <laughs> this information? Um, and so for a long time, it was very much this we're all good guys, beer's fun, beer's just supposed to be fun. And if you are having an issue with it, that's a you issue. That's not something with this industry because in this industry, we're all about fun. And that's, you know, that's very toxic and that has really permeated the industry. And I've personally spoken with men who have said, well, gosh, I've seen some things happen, but I didn't know it was this bad. And it's like, yes, you did. And now now it's just very difficult to ignore or to pretend like you didn't see that. And if you've ever told a woman server, you know, hey, you handled that really well, you probably could have stepped in, right? And right. Um, it's it's just so important that, again, anyone who wants access understands that they have access. And it's... Um, And that's not always the case, you know, and there's, again, going back to the craft beer industry is we're all just having fun. This is all just a fun group of people. For who, though? You know, who who is that a fun industry for and who is allowed to have fun? Who's allowed to even be in the room and at the table? And it can be exhausting. I mean, there have been times when I've said, I'm not going to do you know, this this beer industry thing because I don't feel like fighting. I don't feel like showing up right. and having to really prove that not only do I know what I'm talking about, I probably know more than what anybody else in the room knows, right? Absolutely. And, you know, and having just those assumptions made that I'm, I'm there as someone's wife or um, I'm, you know, I got into it because that's what boys like. And, you know, there's just that whole, the whole thing. And that's, that's not the case. That's not the case for so many people. And to just be allowed to feel welcome and, you know, be allowed to exist in this space is something that is not available to so many people. And, you know, there there are a thousand reasons why, and I know that you all address topics like this on your podcast all the time, um, so it's important to have those voices to say, you know, don't listen to the rest of them. I'm telling you that you have access and that you are welcome. And if somebody is making you feel unwelcome, then, you know, let's let's explore why that is. You know, let's have those uncomfortable conversations as an industry and be willing to move forward from it. Right. And yeah, I love that statement. Just you have the right to exist, which should be simple. It really should just be like clearly easily done. 
But it's not, unfortunately. And especially if you're someone of the marginalized community, that there's more questions. And yeah, there's this expectation that you're going to take what is dished out to you just because this environment is supposed to be a small business, fun, startup company that allows for abuse, I guess. Like, it's kind of like you, you shouldn't have oversee. Like, no motion to be able to oversee whether or not you are a good company, right. a good person. Like, why is this even a conversation as if we have to clarify why? And then bringing it out means y'all are being too PC or over, overly sensitive, which is, of course, our favorite comments right. on here. <laughs> um, yes, and we I all found need it to calm down, right? Right. Uh. <laughs> I think you're just being emotional. <laughs> right. Uh. You need to calm down. And, you know, I, I, was, I found it interesting because, yeah, even though they want to say this is just a fun, we're just doing our hobbies, turning into a job, great, but they want to be taken seriously by businesses and industries and, and want to eventually become the company that does make millions of dollars or be the next big brewery or winning all the awards as a business for them when it comes to the money, end of story. And I find that interesting that as I was researching, like we've got some newer numbers as of September showing ownership and that they are like, you know, that at least 76% of the companies, of the brewers, the owners are men. Like that's the number. However, when they looked even further, like actually it might be even less than that and that women may may make up of, I don't know, 2% of the owners. Right. So that's a really large number. And the fact that the, uh, I think he's the chief financial advisor for the Beer Association was like, well, our numbers may have been inflated because when we did send out these little random forms, it was only to a small portion of people. And the people who are most likely sending them back were women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So right. And, and, you know, another interesting way to to parse that out is because I've I've seen the Brewers Association and other industry people say, you know, like, look at these numbers is growing or look at this number. And another further parsing of that is how many of the owners who are women are co-owners with their spouses. And that's, and I don't say that to, to imply that there's absolutely anything wrong with that because there's not, but it's, you know, yes, you might have 2% of women, but if you're looking at breweries that are solely owned by women and not co-owned with spouses, that number gets even smaller. Right. We have been trying to feature as many beers as we could that are uh, female-owned, women-owned, or at least like partially owned or involved with, like you have a female brewer, you have a woman brewer, wonderful, let's bring her beer in. You're like trying to find that and it's really hard. It is. That doesn't include talking about trying to get it, like different states getting those beers because that's impossible in itself. But even still trying to find those names, it's kind of like, wow, because we we may have gotten some information one month Two months later, they're not there. Like that right. happened to us so many times because that environment was so toxic. They did, couldn't. They couldn't last there. They weren't right. allowed to exist there, and so they were pushed out, essentially. And I was like, "Damn it! What is wrong with this industry? Like, what is happening? And what can we do? What like what what is happening? Jen, tell me what is happening." <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, you know, so this um, back in May. And I believe that you mentioned that you all have spoken about this on the podcast before, but back in May, Brian Allen, who at the time was a brewer for Notch Brewing, 
in her Instagram stories said, what sexist comments have you gotten in the beer industry? And that actually wasn't the first time that she had asked that in her stories, but it, you know, it hit at the right time where it was thousands of people shared their stories. Um, I was one of them. I ended up leaving my job uh, because it was it was something that had been building up you know, over the the course of the the year and a half that I had been there, that finally, like reading through all the other stories, you know, there was there were things that I already knew. I was called terse for asking for equal pay um, during an employee evaluation. All sorts of things like that that, you know, telling people about it is kind of like when you're talking, I mean, it is a toxic relationship, right? And it's kind of like when you're talking about like your your toxic boyfriend. And I remember mm-hmm. telling my friends one night, like, you know, here's everything that's been happening. And they were like, that's a, that's a <laughs> lot of red flags. And actually saying it all out loud and seeing their reactions was like, oh, that's right. That's not okay for somebody to treat me like that, let alone an employer. Right. Um, and, you know, thousands of people felt the same way and were sharing their stories. And it got to such a volume that the industry could not ignore it any longer. And, you know, since then, uh, there's been a a core group of us who have continued to beat that drum and not at all to to minimize. I know that there are a ton of people out there doing a ton of work behind the scenes. And that's what we want, right, is we want that work behind the scenes. I don't want social media posts. I don't want, you know, we're listening, we're learning, you know, platitudes. I want to know that there are people doing that work. Um, so in the months since then, you know, we've put together several different initiatives to help support historically excluded people in the brewing industry, whether that is raising money for them to have financial assistance so they're not stuck in a job, um, whether it is, you know, helping vet employers. So people know, hey, if you see this organization post this job, you know that this that this company has been vetted. Um, and sometimes it's also just being, well, I shouldn't say just, sometimes it's being a sympathetic ear. I mean, I know I continue to have people reach out to me through social media, through email, you know, sometimes even in person to say, hey, this happened or this is going on in my job and I don't know what to do about it. Um, so those conversations really hit a fever pitch in May or June. Um, it's been somewhat frustrating to see everybody kind of be like, okay, that, that's done. You know, just like we solved racism last year, we solved sexism this year because like we posted a black square. We said that we're listening and we're learning so we can all move on from it. And, uh, you know, that's obviously very much not the case. And so continuing to keep those conversations going and continuing to let people know that there is support out there. And, you know, for me, one of the biggest things was realizing that I wasn't alone, that this wasn't happening to me in isolation, because that was something that was very much happening after I left. I heard from several other employees and I heard from employees while I was there who said, this has been happening to me, but I didn't have anybody to talk to, or I didn't know who to talk to. And the, you know, the, the company, the management very much kept it that way, kept people isolated from each other, uh, kind of kept information from people. And a lot of people feel that isolation. And so seeing other people share those stories made made a lot of people realize, that's right. It is not okay for me to be treated this way. And it's not a me problem. I don't need to calm down. I'm not being overly sensitive. 
you are wrong. You are mistreating employees. Yeah, it's one of those things that's so infuriating. So much of what you're talking about is just infuriating because it it feels like this culture of, you know, isolating people and making people think like, you're so lucky to have this job. Like, we're mm-hmm. allowing you to play in here um, and you should be grateful for that opportunity that we are granting you, um, which is another way of keeping people quiet about things that they're experiencing. And then having people talk, like speak up about it, which is great. And, you know, finding that out you're not alone is great. But it's also frustrating too, because I feel like so many of us women are like, it's almost like, yeah. (laughs) And guys are like, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can't just go into a hotel room at a conference without call. I'm sorry, I can't. Right. Which is ridiculous that there are all these things people have to take into consideration and that it's keeping people either out of the business or pushing them out once they finally get in. Mm -hmm. I know so many incredibly talented, incredibly qualified women who have said, okay, you know what? You don't want me here. I won't be here anymore. And, you know, in all honesty, I've in the past few months, I have definitely reached that point myself a few times to be like, okay, if it's if my presence is so bad for everyone, if me speaking up makes it so uncomfortable for everyone else, then maybe I'll just leave. And then it's like, no, you leave. I'm right. (laughs) You leave (laughs) or you do better. Right. (laughs) Right. 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 Like, I will remain here. You're the problem, not me. Right. You're not going to make the problem go away just because I leave necessarily. Like, this is a an internal problem that needs to be addressed. And I feel like maybe because I have been in the industry a little longer, and I, well, once upon a time anyway, that there's some some like a cyclical thing where an incident will happen, we'll kind of listen and then move on. Like, how do we think, how do you think that perhaps, of course, this was a whole bigger thing, but it actually got national attention from so many. But why do you think we keep getting into these traps of like, kind of like, as you were talking to me about the Black Lives Matter, like, this is so great and important. And all these brewers are like, yeah, we, we got the Black Square. We got a beer for you. But it was literally just talk. Like, how do we keep getting into these messes? Not we. I kind of already know the answer, but you know. And how do we get out of it? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I don't have a succinct answer. I, well, again, I, I say I don't know. I do know. Um, We need to continue (laughs) to hold ourselves accountable and we need to continue to commit to, you know, sometimes being uncomfortable and sometimes messing up and learning from that discomfort, learning from those mistakes and moving forward. And that's, people don't want to do that. And, you know, as long as we're still at um, critical mass with a, you know, the industry being dominated by primarily, you know, middle-aged, cishet, white men, um, it doesn't affect them, you know. The, is the is the default, and I sh- I I shouldn't put an entire blanket over saying like it doesn't affect them because I, I'm sure it does on some level, but not to the degree that it affects other people, and that you know it can't continue to fall on the shoulders of the people who are historically excluded to continue to push and to continue to say. Please just treat me equally. I'm not even asking to be treated better. I'm just ask, asking, you know, not to be groped or not to uh, be paid less or not to have to deal with, you know, microaggressions all of the time. And that that shouldn't always fall on the people who are affected to be educating those who aren't. Um, and that's really where we found ourselves within this movement now is... 
you know, I, I can't be your search engine and you also can't task the all of the women who work for your brewery to start a committee to educate you on how they could be treated better. Um, that there is some value in doing things like that, of course, and asking your employees for feedback, receiving it, and then acting on it. Uh, there can be a ton of value in that, but it's also just as valuable for leadership to be able to point to these are the steps we have taken. And those steps aren't commanding other employees to do additional work, probably for not additional pay and probably outside of the scope of what they were hired to do. But, you know, this is the training that I took. These are the articles that I've read. These are the resources that I've sought out on my own to make myself a better leader, to make sure that I understand as well as I can what's going on and how to make it better for you. And that's what, you know, again, I I get asked a lot of really elementary questions by people that I'm like, I'm not your search engine. If you, you know, you can... Google exists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You you can look up somebody's, like some random 1950s actor's height on Google. You can Google like anti-racist resources. And it's much more meaningful to me if somebody comes to me and says, I have found like these five things... Um, you know, and here are the my opinions I formed on whether these are good resources. What what do you think? Is there something else that I'm missing? Um, because we don't know what we don't know. But yes, Google exists. Um, so <laughs> yeah. So you know, you know, moving forward, it is if we really are the industry we say we are, then it shouldn't be a problem to sometimes be uncomfortable if that means that from that discomfort comes growth and you know, more accessibility and a better understanding of how we can serve everyone who wants to be in the beer industry. Yes. I, uh, I feel like so many things you're talking about can be like we see it in all kinds of industries. Like it's not yes. just this one, right? And it's just like making me angrier and angrier. And like you said, Samantha, we have this history of kind of kicking women out of of beer, of like making it and then even drinking it. And I remember for a while, and this was me very much internalizing stuff, but I've heard it from other friends. Like I thought, you know, if I ordered a beer, it had to be a light beer or else people would think, Oh, who knows what they would think, but like she's the lady down to get frisky or something, which is right. ridiculous that we have these stereotypes <laughs> about drinks, but we do. Um, so it's just like so much to untangle. And then it, it's, I know I keep using the word frustrating, but it does, it frustrates me that you, like you've got so much talent, you've done so much stuff and you've reached this point where you're getting, you're like, I'm almost done with this and it shouldn't be on you to like, take on that emotional baggage, but unfortunately, that's where we are. So I kind of want to ask you, um, when you made that list of like, this is what I want to do, what, what's your thing about brewing that was like, that you loved and that you really, really excited you? You know, for me, I'm very much a lifelong learner. Like I always joke, if I could stay in school forever, I would. And beer really hits that for me. So in addition to um, having come from the legal world, my my undergraduate degree was in economics. And it's amazing how much beer has shaped history. It's shaped economics. It's it's funded wars. It has, 
you know, been influenced by and has influenced tax codes. It, it reaches every facet. And uh, for me, I'm at the spot now where I'm very much a, not a scientific person. So a lot of the, like the, the biochemistry and the microbiology part of beer is I can say the words, but I just don't really like, I I sort of understand it, but I'm like, I need somebody to teach me chemistry like I am a middle schooler because that's the last time I was in a chemistry class. Um, And so that's, you know, that's a new challenge for me now is getting better at understanding really the science behind it. And that, you know, the science part specifically is where it is, super old dudes who have been doing it for 50 years and that's fabulous. They have a wealth of information and they've done some really cool things, but it's hard to find, you know, the, that technical information that's presented in a way that's designed to make it accessible to somebody from a non-technical background. Um, so, you know, that for me, just always being able to learn something really does it for me. And then I'm also, huge into beer sensory and talking to people about beer flavor. And that is, again, another area The you know, the last year or so that I've been asking, who gets to decide? Who gets to decide what beer style guidelines look like? Who gets to decide the terminology or who has historically decided the terminology we use to describe beer? Um, it's a very small pool of people and there's a very large pool of people out there who could contribute to making that sensory language more meaningful to more people. And that's, you know, that's another area of, with the public, again, empowering people, this is accessible to you. You are qualified to talk about what you're tasting. You're the most qualified person to talk about what you're tasting when you taste beer. And then also personally, I'm I'm always developing my palate and I'm always learning how to, de- to detect something new. And, you know, again, Google exists. So like if I smell something and think this smells like perm solution, then I can go on Google and like look up what are what are compounds in perm solution and like work backwards from that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with beer, it's I don't think it's possible to ever know everything there is to know about beer. Yeah, I love that. Uh, it does remind me of all the times that I would go in and we would do our tasting. So we get the tasting notes when we're describing uh, beer to customers. My favorite thing was to be like, what do you typically drink? What do you typically like? And let me give you this. And that satisfying moment of them being like, oh my God, yes, that's this. the best. It's, like, <laughs> it's the most, one of my favorite, most satisfying moments. I'm like, that's right. I know. And being able to turn people on to beers that they never had or didn't think they liked. And, and I love that. And, and like Annie was saying, it's such a gendered drink, which irritates me to to know in, but the assumption that I didn't know what I was talking about or people didn't want to talk to me because I was a girl uh, and trying to be like, no, this is the beer that you're talking. This is and like, even though they're fighting with me, they're like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I'm like, dude, I work here. I know, <laughs> I know what beers are here. Right. Uh, I had those moments. And yeah, it was typically most times, dude. Um, <laughs> but within those times, like you talk about your love, the experience and almost... And then also talking about the fact that, yeah, you have had many a times being like, I'm done, I'm frustrated, it's not welcoming, but you continue to fight, which is what we love to see. And then again, you talked about the incident with Brianne Allen, which we were like, oh my God, this is, I was reading through nonstop, like trying to catch up. And of course, like 
saying, this is familiar, this is not familiar, this brewery is, I'm not drinking from there again, I'm not drinking from here again, who's actually making a stand, who's actually making a difference, and who's actually not. But there were so many, like, international level of stories that happened. And yeah, I did end up reading your experience, but um, can you kind of go into your own experiences with movements like this and how it affects you and, and how you've been able to continue on? Yeah, you know, I have a lot of times with with this specifically, um, and I guess, again, feeding into that lifelong learner, I don't really want to learn about all the ways that I've been um, harassed or discriminated against, right, but right. you know, there there are things that I learn every day that help me say, okay, this is what happened to me. Now I have words to describe it, and this is like this is also how I can talk to someone else about it because for me that is hugely important that there is a lot of you know people who don't truly understand power dynamics. Yeah, you might be the nicest guy. You might go out and drink with all of your employees and have a good time. You are still the CEO. There is still a line that is going to be difficult for people to cross and is still going to be difficult for someone to come to talk to you about something that's right. happened to them. And, you know, that's where I've done a ton of learning and just having people you know, reach out over social media saying, this is happening, or I I can't afford to leave. I don't have time to look for another job. And even if I do find another job, how do I know that it's going to be any better? It could very possibly be worse. And figuring out, okay, what kinds of resources do you need right now? What is the most helpful? And that's, you know, that's really um, my experience within this, this movement has been kind of staying one lesson ahead of the students. Um, but also being willing to say, I, I don't know. Let's let's figure it out right. together. Um, let's talk about, you know, what what is it? What really is just the crux of what's going on here to help everyone verbalize what's happening and then also make a plan for moving forward from it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've I've been, you know, out, outspoken feminist my entire life. Uh, so, you know, one of the areas with this movement that I think has been the most the most difficult conversations, the most difficult to really enunciate what is happening is, I, I mean, just white feminism has been a huge issue with this. And, mm -hmm. you know, as, as women, we're not afforded the ability to disagree with each other, right? And if, with historically excluded people, like everybody has the same homogenous experience and you can't say... I don't like the way you're feminizing, you know, and because then it's like, oh, well, you, we, we don't even need to listen to you because you're, you're not representing an entire gender with what it is that you're saying. And I, I've seen such a lack of intersectionality with a lot of what's going on in the brewing industry and particularly with, you know, people who have been in the industry a while who, you know, will say, uh, well, I, I won't go into like a, a ton of specifics about particular people, but that's happened a lot where I've had to say, hey, you know, this isn't, we can't speak and we, um, specifically, you know, me, cishet, white woman can't speak for all of the experiences that are happening in the beer industry. There is inter intersectionality here and we need to be learning how to make sure that we are doing our best to 
either make sure those resources are available or getting out of the way and, you know, and saying, uh, I'm not the most qualified person to talk to you about this. This woman is because of these intersectional issues that are happening with what's going on. Um, so that's been one of the areas that I've I've personally been trying to learn more about is to help enunciate that better and to help myself, you know, understand my role in what's going on and then also understand how those dynamics work and when is it time for me to step aside and when is it time for me to reach out to other women and share what I'm learning so we can make sure that this movement is truly for all women affected by it. Curiosity, because you've been doing this for a while, have you seen changes for better or worse during your time in this industry? Um, yes and yes. Uh, so I, I have seen people, you know, making incremental changes and people willing to do that that hard work, willing to be uncomfortable, willing to get the training, willing to have those hard conversations with all of their employees, and also willing to, you know, have somebody approach them. That was a um, a resource that I had shared with people of, hey, somebody has called you out. What do you do? You know, how do you react? And um, somebody has come to you with a problem. What is the proper way to listen to them and to empathize with them and not say something like, that doesn't sound like them, you know, where you're, you think you're trying to be helpful, but you, somebody's like mm-hmm. re-traumatizing themselves to tell you what happened and you just minimize it. And so they've learned a very important lesson, right? That they can't speak up or they can't speak to you about it. And I've seen a lot of people being willing to have those conversations. I've seen a lot of breweries, um, you know, willing to be more transparent about things like here's our code of conduct. Uh, you can, you know, you can put, po- we have it posted on our website. You can read what we're doing to keep you safe, to keep our employees safe, you know, to keep everyone safe. The, and this is also the resources that are available to you when you're in our tap room. Uh, I've seen not great things. You know, I've, I've heard people say like, oh, this blew over already. You know, a week after uh, I left my former company, they, that, that was something that was being said like, oh yeah, that blew over. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, so I've seen a lot of that. And I've seen a lot of people who, and I'll try to be as fair as I can, but a lot of breweries who seemingly have decided that they don't need to care about it anymore, or, you know, there's some sort of cognitive dissonance, say there's a festival that they want to attend with a very problematic brewery or person who's involved with it, and they really want to go. But, you know, they, they also then have to answer questions from customers and from the industry on, I, I thought that this is where you stood, but now you're doing this, so we need you to reconcile that. And I and I say, you know, trying to be fair because again, social media doesn't tell the entire story, right? So I it means more to me for a brewery when I ask as a customer, what are you doing for them to say, we did these five things, or you know, you can go to our website and you can see this. These are our policies for our employees. Like that transparency is so much more meaningful than, you know, posting on on social media saying that you're not going to the festival or saying that you're not going to do this. 
okay, great. That's, that's something, but that's, that doesn't tell me if you've learned anything from that experience or right. how you're going to move forward from the experience. That's a lot. You know, you are talking a lot about how we can support, you know, individually, but because you're involved in a lot of different things, you've got your hands in so many things. What are some um, organizations that we should know about that could support and bring about uh, change and or at least bring awareness for us to know what's going on in the industry? One of the causes that I'm involved in, and this is actually how Sam and I met, was uh, with Brave Noise. And this is a collaboration within the beer industry for breweries to you know, show their support for historically excluded people. And the way that Brave Noise works is when you sign up, you actually submit a copy of your code of conduct and you receive the beer recipe, brew it when the beer is ready to go. You donate the proceeds to a nonprofit that helps support historically excluded people in the brewing industry somehow. That can look like whatever you would like it to look like. And then also on your beer can, uh, you print the QR code that will people can scan and it will take them to your code of conduct. That is a great way for consumers specifically. Ask your favorite brewery if they're planning to brew Brave Noise. And if they're not, ask them why not. And I, I definitely don't mean that in a bullying way because I, you know, I've talked to some breweries who are like, we schedule our beers out, you know, like six months in advance or something. So there, there are reasons right. why people might not be able to prioritize that, but it's still worth asking. Uh, I have a friend of mine who was doing that, on, you know, on her own. Uh, just started emailing breweries to say, and, you know, emailing as a consumer to say, hey, you know, these two breweries in town brew Brave Noise, and I really like your brewery. I really like your beer. Are you planning to brew it? And I think at least two of the breweries that she had emailed ended up saying, you know, we had talked about it, and yes, now now we will. Um, so for consumers, you know, ask them if they're if they're planning to brew Brave Noise. If you're in a brewery, ask about their code of conduct. Uh, ask, you know, what what do they have in place to help keep customers safe? Do they have training? You know, there's things like safe bars training where where breweries will get trained on how to do a good bystander intervention, what to look for, how to keep people safe, what to do if a situation escalates, how to de-escalate, all sorts of things. And there are a ton of breweries who are doing stuff like that. So ask because I, you know, a lot of times if the if the consumer's the one asking, breweries want to give consumers what they want. That's why we have so many like fruited sours and, you know, like stouts <laughs> with like Twinkies and like chewed up bubble gum in it and stuff. So breweries want to make their customers happy, right? Make sure that you're letting them know that this would make me very happy as a consumer. Other things to be aware of, we also have the Brave Voices Fund which is a fund that we created to be able to help provide financial assistance for people who need to leave that job. You know, again, it was it was a huge privilege and continues to be a huge privilege for me that I'm part of a dual income household. So it, it mm -hmm. was not easy for me to leave my job, but we were going to be fine in the interim because, you know, I'm, I'm part of a dual income household. We can make it work. And a lot of people don't have that privilege. And so right. that's just a reality. Um, the Brave Voices Fund, is you, it, it accepts donations. You can also go to the bravenoise.com website 
And there's a ton of different charities and nonprofits on there where you can donate your money directly that are doing different things like promoting mental health, you know, providing training, providing uh, job training, all, all sorts of things. There are a lot of really great organizations doing really good work right now that would be happy to receive your money, receive your time, receive your donation, um, receive your voice, you know, amplifying these things mm-hmm. as consumers is huge. I mean, that's that's really everything. And that's that's one of the things that's been frustrating at times throughout this movement is that the general public isn't aware of what's of everything that's been going on, right? So right. making more people aware that you know, none of us can humanly care about every single thing in the world, right? But, you know, there are causes we can be deliberate when we're making some of our purchasing decisions. Someplace like craft beer is a great place to be able to do that. You know, your your money has power. And if somebody, you know, isn't isn't able to show you what they're doing, again, if it's something that's important to you, if you're listening to this, I'm guessing it probably is important to you. <laughs> you know, you can ask those questions and make your purchasing decisions accordingly. Yes, that's all amazing. So is there, looking back now, is there something you would tell your younger self as you were getting into this industry? <laughs> Any advice you would give? <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it would be to, gosh, I think it would be to, you know, speak up more. I'm still trying to condition myself out of politely laughing when a man says something to me that I'm like, my first reaction is, ah, and then like, it'll soak in what was just said right. to me. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm still trying to like unlearn doing that and unlearn, um, yeah, that that polite laugh gets me so much and I get so frustrated by it. Uh, so I think I would tell myself, my younger self, you don't have to do that, right? You you don't have to make the people around you comfortable when it means that you are feeling uncomfortable or unsafe. That's yeah, good that's advice. really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and because, you know, we are talking about beer and you're an expert, what is your top three beers that we should know about? <laughs> I'm giving you three because if you're much more like Annie and I, we have too many, right. especially in a field that we love. Um, except Annie likes to take bonuses. I'm not giving you bonuses, just three. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I will give you three beer styles. This is a little bit of a cheat because this, I'm not going to give okay. you three specific beers. Oh, okay. I will give you three beer styles. Number one, smoked beer. It's my absolute favorite. Okay. The reason why I'm telling you I'm not giving you a specific beer for this is because smoked beer is such a wide range of flavors and levels of smoke that I I am an evangelist for smoked beer. So <laughs> there is a smoked beer out there for everyone. The same way there is a beer out there for everyone, there is a smoked beer out there that you will like. Uh, so smoked beer, number one, like by, by okay. a long shot. Yes, okay. everyone, everyone go find a smoked beer. And if you don't like the first one, keep trying because I guarantee you will find a good one. Number two, I would have to say really, oh, this is tough um, because it's kind of like <laughs> when you ask like a film person what their favorite movie is, it's like, well, it depends, I know. right? 
Yes. You found one way to cheat, though, so yes. we'll see how you can do it. You know, my other one, I would say to seek out a, a really well-made mixed fermentation beer. Uh, so that's going to be something that's going to have some sour characteristics, some funky Britannomyces characteristics. And I say well-made because there's a lot of like not super great ones out there, but there are a few places who do them really well. Um so I would search out one of those and that that style, that mixed fermentation is going to be one that is really great if you are a wine drinker, um, particularly if you like natural wines, you're going to love a mixed fermentation beer. And then my last recommendation, this one is tough because in my mind, I'm thinking about all these different ones and I'm like, well, which one would be a good third place? Um, <laughs> but I will go with one of my favorites, which is a barley wine. If you can find okay. a, a really nice barley wine, I'm partial to American barley wines. There's American and English barley wines. They're they're all amazing. Um, they're all very you know the, both styles have their pluses and minuses. My preference is for American barley wine. One of my very favorite like top five beers of all time is Sierra Nevada Bigfoot, and that's a great one that is really easy to find. Uh, so I would recommend that one as well. Ooh. I love it. And we're going to have some English uh, barley wine drinkers be like, but... I know, I know. I, yeah, I, I, I yeah. threw down I can't on that one. <laughs> I'll be like, this is Jen's uh, email. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't come at us. <laughs> okay, do you have any breweries that you would like to shout out or any of that group? I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think I would shout out again. You can go to the Brave Noise website. Um, and all of the breweries who are participating are listed on there. You can search by state. You can search by country. I would shout out every single brewery who has signed up to to brew Brave Noise. Yes. Yes. And and shout out to you for all of the work you are doing, Jen. <laughs> yes. All of it. That's so amazing. Um, and thank you for being here for this fantastic conversation. Good luck on all of your, yeah. <laughs> all your tests you got coming up. Woo. Um, where can the good listeners find you? You can find me on um, on social media. I'm under the Genfluence. Uh, you can also visit my website under thegenfluence.beer. I do have some online beer training courses that I will be rolling out very shortly. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about becoming a beer judge or doing something like the Cicerone Certification Program, I will have something for you very soon, but I love hearing from people. I love getting questions, um, you know, beer recipes, which beer should I drink? Which beer should I brew next? Where do I even get started? Reach out to me. I also co-host a podcast called False Bottom Girls. And that is, you can find us on uh, False Bottom Girls, Instagram and Facebook. That's, That's so cool. <laughs> yes. And yes, we definitely want to hear more about all of your recommendations. And yeah, we need your help in learning about beer. I was just thinking about Annie talking about how she can't describe things. I'm like, we're going to have to do a personal session, I think. Yes, I love that idea. I'm into it. I have a lot to learn and I'm I'm excited to learn it. <laughs> You're doing good though. You do I've so improved. Well. I've improved. Well, thank you so much again, Jen, for being here. Such a delight. And thanks to you listeners for listening. If you'd like to email us, you can. Or email us stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff I've Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 